from the city of brotherly love. This is Shark Bite Biz with David Strausser. You just read to the newest episode of Shark Bite Biz. I'm your rock star wannabe host, David Strasser, and this is your place to learn how to grow a business during complete global chaos. As always, we got to give a shout out to our amazing sponsor and SAP global platinum partner, Sador. That's S-E-I-D-O-R. If your business is ready, move off of QuickBooks, start automating those business processes, and really just run more efficient Give them a call. Reach out to me. Reach out to them. Sador.com will help your business to break through the bottlenecks that are preventing growth. Now, let's get back to today's episode. But before we do, just quick shout out. I can't believe we're already in June. We only have about two more episodes left in this season, and then we have a break until the first Monday after 4th of July when we return with season eight. So today, we're going to be chatting about manufacturing and being lean and learning about a very important acronym, which is called M, like Michael, E, like Edward, P, like Peter. So what is it? Well, tune in to this episode, this interview right here, and you're going to learn all about it, plus many more things in the manufacturing world. So who do we have today? Today, we got a three-way going on. <laughs> we have been interviewed with Sean Fields and Michael Sanders, the amazing authors of the book Quantum Lean. Here's a little more about Sean and Michael. Business is all about problem solving. And among all the problems a company must address, one of the most challenging is picking your battles. With an unlimited set of issues, but a limited amount of time, an entrepreneur has to set priorities. However, doing this is easier said than done. In this episode, Sean Fields and Michael Sanders, authors of the book, Quantum Lean, offer a breakthrough approach for effectively and efficiently running and systematically improving your business. Sean Fields and Michael Sanders have over 35 years of of experience working as small business owners and have worked extensively and successfully with businesses on eliminating chaos, sustaining performance, and elevating operations. So, hey, without further delay, let's bring Sean and Michael right on in here. Business strategy. Sean, Michael, welcome to Shark Bite Biz. You too. You both just became shark bait. All right. <laughs> yeah. Thank you Thank so much you. for coming on, fellas. I, yeah, I, I'm not used to uh, telling two people that they've become shark bait. So that didn't come out as natural as I would have liked. But anyways, we got a tradition on the show, and you guys are not going to skip out on this. And we ask every single guest. doesn't matter how infamous or how famous you are. What's your background? What's your history? But I guess for me, what's most important is, as you see in Michael's background, and as you see right here, thank you guys for sending me this. You have this book, Quantum Leap. Quantum Lean, not Quantum Leap. That was a TV show, right? Uh, Quantum Lean. How did you guys come together and write that amazing book? Well, uh, yeah, I'll start. uh, In my case, I'll try to give a brief background, but... Uh, I've I've worked in business for 35 years in business and industry, and I've done it in a variety of ways. I've worked for companies, I've worked for myself, and uh, you know one of the things that I found, and Michael will be talking about this as well, is that you know you're, you're in business and there's always a problem. You know, like you've got all these formulas out there, but to me, the one that is universal always will be in effect is business is equal to problem. And so you're always about trying to solve those things. You're, you're never getting rid of them completely, but you're just trying to change the nature of the thing where maybe the problem is in a better form. It's easier to handle that kind of thing. And that's, that's really what so the majority of my life's been about is trying to deal with problems. And so in, my, in terms of my background, uh, when I've been doing that, I've worked in different industries, like from mass production, where you're making the same widget a billion times to 
you're working in a custom shop where you don't make more than two or three of anything. And so I've worked in these different environments and, you know, people have all kinds of different ways of trying to attack, you know, issues and different, different, you know, different bothers. And so, you know, the, the thing about I've, I've, my background has allowed me to get exposed to a lot of different ways of doing it. And, you know, you, you try to bring your own flavor to it, come up with things. And so that's, you know, that's what, you know, what kind of led me to Michael, like Michael and I met 20, more than 20 years ago. And so he and I have been working together on a lot of different things. We've kind of come into and out of each other's life, but we've had a really good blend. It's kind of like, uh, you know, and I'm not, believe me, I will not make this comparison ever again, but you know how Lennon and McCartney had this blend, you know, and I'm not, I'm not about to liken myself to them, but, but in a way I am. But I feel like we have a very good blending like that. Just to clarify which Lennon you're talking about, you're talking about yeah. John Lennon. <laughs> yeah. okay. okay, just want to make sure. Yeah, yeah. Same yeah, Lennon. But, um, sure. uh, <laughs> coincidentally, <laughs> coincidentally, we had Jack Douglas on this show. He was one of my first 10 podcasts, which was the producer for John Lennon up until his death and did Yoko Ono's albums also. Aerosmith, as we were talking about, and and Cheap Trick, and he was uh, he was talking about John on the show. He was talking about you're the first person that has brought up John Lennon on this show since that episode. So I just had to kind of, I guess, throw a retro callback out to one of my first original episodes of Shark Bite Biz. So I'll let you get to. But I did have one other clarifying question for you. You said problems in business, okay? Clarify which type of problems you mean, just so that I make sure everybody's on the same page. Are you talking about the businesses are out there to solve problems, which most are, they're filling a need, they're providing a service to fill a gap, or are you talking about the problems that, that, that are within a business itself? Yeah, I'm talking about the problems within a business. And no matter, no matter how well you blueprinted things, no matter how well you've done your due diligence, there's always a problem. And so, you know, like, yeah, my, my career and much of my life has been about that. And so, you know, like I say, Michael and I came together, we have a real good blending of, you know, like where, you know, the, our strengths and weaknesses blend very well together. And so we've worked together for quite a while and we've been pretty successful. And so, you know, Quantum Link came about because, you know, we really wanted to share there are certain tactics where you're, you know, working on the problems of business. How do you prioritize? How do you really get to the heart of the thing? And you see a lot of people, they don't do it real well. And we think that we can bring a little bit of help in that direction with, with a book like this. And also just when we work with businesses, we bring that. But that's that's kind of, uh, that's really in a nutshell, kind of my, my background. Yeah. So before we get to Michael, let me ask the quantum lean. When did it come out? Came out in 2020, September of 2020. Okay, so, okay, that was six months roughly into the pandemic, okay? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I imagine you started writing it before the pandemic. That's correct. Okay. Yep. Uh, how much did you have to change because of the pandemic, and do you feel that post-pandemic the book still holds up? Uh, it didn't have to change at all. Interestingly enough, right, it was turned in right when the pandemic began actually like the long story short the uh the agreement with the publisher was reached in 2019 and there's a certain time frame to get all the stuff you know written and all the materials etc and we turned it in uh like right when the pandemic in march of 2020 and so that's and really you know the beautiful thing about the message is that i mean something could change i don't ever i never say never but i believe the message is going to be timeless. You know, I, I, I kind of feel that way um, in business. I'm sure you probably have read a sales book or two in your life. Sure. Mm -hmm. You know, Jeffrey Gittimer, Little Red Book of Sales, the Sales Bible, stuff like that. I believe. Now, I've had people, I've had sales experts come on the show and be like, dude, why are you reading a sales book that came out like 20 plus years ago? And the thing is, is that I view that his sales books are one of those timeless pieces to where, yes, okay, the technology, like when he says fax someone in like 1998 or whatever, like, okay, well, you have to equivalent that to today. 
maybe it's a LinkedIn message instead. You know, you just have to, you have to modernize the book, but the core philosophy stays the same. And it sounds like that's kind of what you feel about Quantum Lean. For my case, absolutely. And I know Michael's case too. So before we go on too far, let's, uh, uh, Michael, you can't break the tradition. I know you're trying to sneak your way out of this, but let's hear your side of this story. And then I also want to hear, okay, I hear about how you guys are like peanut butter and jelly, but which one of you two are the better looking one? Isn't that obvious? Yeah, look, look at that silver hair right there. You got the tie on, so it's got to be you. But go ahead, give us give us your take about exactly what Sean just said. But I mean, here it, it's funny because you can have the same story, but there's two sides to each coin. So, you know, the same story has multiple perspectives. And that's why it's interesting doing a three-way podcast like this, because I can hear your take on the exact same thing that happened. I'll give you a little bit more detail on my side. First of all, I wanted to thank you for this opportunity. I appreciate you and your program. Oh, no problem. I'm honored to have you guys on and thank you again so much for the book. Well, my background, I'll start. You can tell from my accent. I wasn't born in the U.S. And Are you sure? I mean, I, I, that kind of sounds like a Miami accent. Maybe I'm a southernish. I mean, I'll, a kind of Texas type. Yeah, I celebrated. <laughs> I celebrated my 22nd uh, birthday 12 days after I arrived to the United States. That, I came from uh, far places. Originally, I was brought up in Azerbaijan, Iran, and, uh, and Turkey in those dry areas. But by the time I left, it took me roughly about uh, four and a half, five years before I arrived here. And it was mainly due to the fact that I had to go through different borders. And uh, I was stuck in Eastern Bloc at the time. There was a history of Eastern Bloc countries in Europe. And now you outside Western Bloc uh, countries, you couldn't cross from Eastern to West, unless you have really clear documentations, visas and all. I just want to clarify a question, if you don't mind, because you said you grew up in Iran and you grew up in Turkey, right? And Azerbaijan. Are you, if you don't mind me asking, like, are you Turkish, Iranian? Like, what, what, what's your actual descent? Because you named a couple countries. I am, I am Azeri. I am Azeri. Yeah. And, and I grew up Azeri. And uh, my mother tongue is Azuri, and uh, but I do speak several different languages, and uh, but thank you. So go going through these countries and from young age, any of the countries I've been in, luckily promoted child labor. So <laughs> luckily, <laughs> I, I had to learn a lot very fast in young age. You know, <laughs> a majority of the time you end up going to these small shops or. Moms and pops owned businesses, whether it is welding or painting or, uh, you know, preparing a piece of metal to be painted by sanding it without any gloves because they never believed in any glove. There is a kid. You just use the kid instead of a glove. So, <laughs> so you learn a hard way, you know, <laughs> but um, I came here and I went to school and uh, I finished my undergrad degree in biochemistry. And towards the uh, graduation of my capstone, I came up with a research with a professor I was working from Belgium. He's deceased now, Dr. Schramm. And uh, we, he helped me and I developed this compound, which really helped me go to business with it. In a way, this compound was able to allow me to cook food and extract the fat off of it. So I started a company off of that. And in 1990, well, late 89, early 90, I went into business and yes, I am. Yes, I am. <laughs> but the beauty is I speak about, well, I speak eight languages. About three weeks ago, I discovered I speak another language I didn't know. And that's spoken in Nepal. I had no idea. I understood that language well. I was watching this documentary. I said, oh, my God, I understand this. And my wife goes, are you crazy? So it was just something to find. Well, I speak two languages. I mean, I, I was, yeah, yeah. You, you, you know what amazes me? Have you ever, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but like you're talking to somebody like a foreigner. Okay. So for example, I lived in Mexico for 18 years. This is why I was asking you about the cultural aspect, because 
I lived in Mexico. When I was 18, I moved from rural Pennsylvania to Tijuana, Mexico. Lived down in Mexico for about 15 years. Lived in Peru. Um, and uh, that's where I met my wife. I, all that fun stuff. But culture, international travel, languages, stuff like that. I love it. I love it. One thing that drove me nuts is, first off, whenever I was in Mexico or and, and Peru to an extent, and I said, they, they'd always ask, where are you from? And I'd be like, Pennsylvania. Okay. Uh, they would like be like, oh, vampiros, Dracula. And I'm like, no, 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 that's Transylvania. Uh, so eventually I just started saying Philadelphia, even though I was like three hours away from Philadelphia. But one thing that always kind of drove me nuts was that I'd be in, in Mexico and these guys would speak to me in English, but I'm also fluent in Spanish, bilingual in English and Spanish. And I would speak back to them in Spanish and they're like, their minds are blown. Like, how are you speaking Spanish? And you know, like you're, you're, you're a white guy from uh, Transylvania. Like, why are you speaking Spanish? And I'm like, well, you speak English, right? Like you speak English and Spanish. Why can't I? Have you had those types of experiences at all with any of your languages? Yeah, yeah. Actually, I have to make a correction. I said Nepal. It's actually Bhutan. Bhutan is the country that I was watching documentary. Uh, yeah, I, I do get that often, and I used to get it more than I get now. But the reality is nowadays, all you have to know is English. So English has become so international. And uh, as you see with the internet age as well, it's it's just become the language of the world anyway. So at any rate, after I graduated, I uh, went to business after many years of that. I realized that one thing I don't know, regardless of how much I've been in manufacturing industry, uh, which has been since I was six years old, learning hardcore manufacturing all the way to process manufacturing and so on. And I had process manufacturing. Oh, yeah, exactly, exactly. My companies, I produced a lot of products. My products were sold in 12 different states, by the way. And when I realized that I don't know anything about processes and operations, it was just the end of that line. I had to go learn. So that led me go to a university, and uh, that's where Sean and I met first time. And in 1996, to be specific, December of 1996, first time we met. And I joined a program, which was a, a nationally run program by the university. And the university hosted that program. And that program, well, this was Texas Tech University, and the program was under NIST, National Institute of Standards and Technologies, MEP, Manufacturing Extension Partnership. It had just started. That's funny that you mentioned MEP because we just literally would say to our USA, sponsor the show on my day job employer for full transparency. Um, we just signed our contract last week with the New Jersey MEP. And we're, we're, yeah, we're partners with them now as well, too. So I'm very familiar with MEP. That's great. Maybe you can put a word for them to take a look at this book because they'll save their lives. Absolutely. Literally, will save their lives. I'll tell you in a second. So anyway, when I joined, MEP had just started in 1995. So, uh, and different uh, hosts were carrying that program. Texas Tech got the uh, hosting of it as a uh, subcontractor in 1996, a few months before I joined. And the reason I joined, because the director of that program, uh, he was into manufacturing as well. And his brother was trying to establish a company following the path I took establishing my company. So his brother and I had met a few years before. We were very good friends. And the director had heard of me. And while I was in my master's and PhD program, my Professor said, hey, you need to visit with this guy. So I go meet with him and he says, oh, you're the Sanders, aren't you? I said, what are you talking about? He said, my God, my brother worships you. What are you talking about? Anyway, we hit it up. I started working for the program. Sean and I met first time. And we, the program had different, of course, expertise of people to help businesses. That's all it is, help manufacturing companies. So we were working on different uh, platforms, offering as solution packages to manufacturing. And we were both a kind of tiptoeing with lean. I kind of took on lean a little bit deeper, but with rich background that uh, Sean has in providing solutions for businesses, he took uh, many different uh, uh, 
platforms to use. By the time we realize that what we are told as lean is really, I'm not going to use the word garbage. I apologize for that. But I can tell you this is a misleading package. And uh, in our view, from manufacturing and specialty that we have, by the time we graduated and we became expert in manufacturing and process uh, industry in terms of uh, organizational processes, we realized that everything you provide as a solution to an organization must do two things. Number one, it must make the resource, in this case, the individual human being's job easier, must do that. Number two, it must also create a result in which it reduces the time of any offering that the manufacturing or the business does to public or to world. The time of producing or providing or fulfilling that offering to reduce. Two things must happen to make the job easier for the person and to make sure the time of the product or result or offering of the of the organization to customers or to the world as a whole is reduced. Basically, it is faster. I call that, let me know if this terminology is wrong, but based upon what you just defined to me, and again, remember, okay, my audience knows what I do with ERP. I specialize with SAP from small, uh, small mom and pop manufacturers, distributors with business one all the way up to, you know, the latest and greatest with S4 HANA with large enterprises. So from one users all the way up to thousands of users. Okay. What you would just describe to me is something that I would put in a layman's term of business process automation as far as making lives easier for employees, but also making the business function better. Is that roughly what you're discussing? It, it, like you said earlier, there are two sides to a coin. One side of it can be translated. Yeah, no, 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 no. Michael, this is my show. You can't use my words against me. (laughs) (laughs) I just got your approval. Permit me to use that. No, go ahead. Go ahead. It's all good, my friend. (laughs) So one side of that is exactly that. So what what happens is uh, we see after the Second World War, a few decades into it, we are still observing it in our lifetime that Japan is leading the manufacturing industry in the world. And people are in every part of the world having a hard time to catch up with them. And they hardly depend on ERP systems when they started. They do have a portion of their business dedicated to technologies like that, but very minimal. The thing is, uh, we came to a conclusion independently between Sean and me that the, at the time, the suite of lean approach was taught or was introduced in the United States was very misleading. They were only talking about one side of the coin, if you if you will. So you're talking about lean, like lean manufacturing. Yeah, I'm talking about the term which was coined by Womack and Jones in their 1986 classic, the machine that changed the world. That the machine was their reference to Toyota Corporation, and in that, for the first time, they used the term lean manufacturing system, as opposed to Toyota production system, and that created the whole movement of Lean Institute that was formed by them and then later on Lean uh, created. And I'm sorry to interrupt, but uh, I do do that when, you know, just so we're all clear, when we're talking on a topic, so everybody knows not to be rude, but so that we talk about it when it's in that moment instead of forgetting about it later on. But I mean, if you look at the modern manufacturing cycle, especially in the automobile industry, that's typically accredited to Ford. Okay, so how does what Toyota do, is that just a modern, more modern version of what Ford implemented? No, not really. It is, we actually love uh, what Henry Ford did, and that's our foundation of what we preach. Yes, indeed, Henry Ford initiated this, and I don't want to go too far to the details, but Taichi Ono of uh, Toyota made three historic trips to uh, Plant Rouge in, in Dearborn in Michigan to learn from from Henry Ford what he later on says in his in his uh, bio that I learned everything from Henry Henry Ford everything I did for Toyota really goes to him the credit is to him but I added two things 
Number one, I added the fact that you can have every other color you want, not just black. Yeah, and number two, I added what's called a grocery basket or grocery. He used to go to these grocery stores in Detroit and watch people picking up things from the shelf. And the next time he turned around, and, hey, the shelf is filled up. What the heck is going on? So he started that investigation. He generated what's called basically uh, fulfilling uh, the uh, part when the part is needed to be used. And we refer to them in many different ways. Like just-in-time inventory. That's exactly what it is. So, yes, you're right. Foundation comes from Henry Ford. And we often refer to Henry Ford's uh, statements, whether from his book or uh, other statements that we've learned in our consultancies, in our seminars, and so on. But coming back to... My background, I didn't want to digress, but I appreciate you asking the questions. When we started getting into these offerings of lean solutions, we realized flat out some of those tools don't work, absolutely don't work. For example, they have this glorified tool called value stream mapping, which is really, to me, introducing a disease to an organization. And I know Sean may not like the word that I use, but it's the reality. You introduce a new disease to an organization which is really, really filled up with a lot of complexity. And that's fine if Sean doesn't uh, agree because I'll allow you two to argue and I'll just mute myself. No, he, he agrees. He just doesn't like the word for me to use disease. I think it's a disease. Well, you you know, if there are things you may say privately, things you say publicly, and the public, the public side of it may be a little more diplomatic, but... You know, when I'm when I'm talking to Michael privately, I think that he's being mild compared to what I say privately. But it's it's yeah, I mean, just long story short, you're getting uh, into that thing called value stream mapping. And early on, when uh, you know, like we're doing these consultancies, that kind of thing, you're you're rolling it out, and yeah, you're just going. This this is just glorified cave painting. You know, is about all I can say about it. It's just. Uh, I mean, I don't mean to get into this you know, detail thing because you know, the main thing I'm, I figure most of your audience doesn't even care about the, the little nuances of lean. You know, the main thing you know, the, that I, I want to make people aware of is just that. I think they care about the general concepts because, because again, I have the ERP background. The show is promoted by SAP. We do get a lot of manufacturers that are out there, whether they're mom and pops or large enterprise. Uh, Hempaco, for example, is a publicly listed company. Sandro has been on the show two or three times, listens to the show religiously. So all over the spectrum. Yeah, like what, what you'll end up finding is, okay, we're, we're using these these different standard ways of trying to make a business more efficient, you know, the lean, the lean system. And you, you discover that really what they did is that they formulated it with a mass production business in mind, but 95% of businesses aren't mass production. And so you're getting into this thing where you don't make as many, you make a ton of variety, infinite variety even, and those tools break down badly. You know, like when Michael uses the word disease, I mean, to me, and I, I, I hate to say it, I agree, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's just bad, but to me, it, it breaks down real badly. It doesn't fit. And so the thing that the kind of we got into is that we, we go into this, how can we really get down to brass tacks? and really get down to the essence of what this is about. And that's what Quantum Lean is detailing. But the main, I'll, I'll give you an example of what Quantum Lean does. And in fact, I shared, I shared this with, well, yeah, Mike, Michael and I, is, you know, we do hands-on consultancies with people, but we also teach classes. And there's, in this class, you have this thing where you simulate a production system and you go through four rounds and in each round you make improvements using lean methods. And what was funny is if if you we actually apply quantum lean in its purest way to this to this simulation, it totally takes the juice out. Everything basically everything solved in one round. Whereas if you do if you do like a standard lean approach, uh, it, it takes about four rounds at least. It's because it just gets to the essence a lot quicker. And what was funny is it, it for I don't know why it's kind of funny. Michael and I intentionally kind of crippled the quantum lean method so that the class flows a little better. You know, we, we stretched it into four rounds. We kind of crippled it. But what was funny is we'd been so used to crippling it that we kind of forgot about it. And I, I kind of realized, wait a minute, you know, and I actually, I, I sent Michael a thing that kind of showed a graph of how fast one improves versus another. And Michael went, holy crap, it, it, it meant something, you know, because it just kind of, it just kind of dawned on me. I went, wow, you know, it's just, you get so blended into something, you forget about it. 
but but yeah, that was but but also but it helps people find what really matters a lot quicker, a lot simpler. That's great and makes total total sense. But I do have two questions that are like a burning disease inside of me. The first one. <laughs> The first one is, okay, we talked about Henry Ford, then we talked, well, we talked about Toyota, then Henry Ford, then Toyota. Um, what about somebody like Elon Musk with Tesla and how he's manufacturing with his gigafactories or whatever he calls them? How does that concept, because that's pretty lean from what I understand and fairly robust. Now, Put the the political nonsense with everything that's Twitter and Musk aside, okay? Think about it from the purest aspects of what he's doing with his manufacturing. Is it smart? Is he doing what you're talking about or not? I, I would like I would argue, and it's not like I'm an expert on what he's doing, but the only the only thing I would say, uh, really, it's got a lot in common. The one thing that I would maybe maybe disagree on, I need to find out a little bit more, is that I think he is quick to rely on a high-tech, you know, sophisticated solution. And what would you say, Michael? Yeah, yeah I, I, I was going to mention that, and that is correct. And high-tech solutions are not really the best solutions to start with. They, as a manufacturer, you need to see where they fit, how they would help you. And that luxury of time to test it out doesn't exist with Elon Musk's uh, approach, in my opinion. I like his his uh, focus when he gives his speeches. He talks about the product. I like that very much. But there is a lot to say and versus a lot to do, and those two have to be aligned. In his case, they are not. If they were, he would be producing one vehicle every sixty seconds, which is far, far, far from it. So. He's following the model, but he's also he's also producing fully in America, and America isn't well. I guess he's got some more plants opening up around the world. Now he's about to open in China. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's something that um, I mean. Th this was the other burning question: is American is American manufacturing alive and well? Is it as bad? As some people say it is, I mean, where are we on that spectrum? Let me take on that, Sean. In my opinion, American manufacturing is alive, but it's not well. And it's taken the direction to become well. And I give you an example of my own personal life. My father, who passed away a couple of years back, one of his prized, probably his most prized possession was an American-made, truly American-made, channel lock, a hand tool. He used to show me and say, hey, son, you see this? Don't ever buy anything else because everything else you buy is going to break, which did. That was a prized, prized item. You can't find American-made channel lock today. You couldn't find it even 20 years ago. Once China started, it's just ridiculous. We don't have that. So we've lost many of, many of those bases. Some of them are coming back. And we, we, we discovered about how important I think American manufacturing is, um, not to sound like ultra patriotic or anything like that, but during the pandemic, I think America rediscovered how important it is to have American manufacturing strong and healthy once again, even if it does come at a higher cost uh, point, because we were reliant upon other countries for medicines, for supplies, for parts, you know, chips, whatever it may be. And they could have been held up at port of entries to those countries could have been completely closed down because of the pandemic. And it created chaos for our supply chain. And that's where I think that the pandemic actually had the effect to where it gave us new life for manufacturing. Correct. And it still continues, actually. Some of that chaos with supply chain still continues. But you're absolutely right. It opened our eyes, and now we realize we have to rely on our own. And that makes a big difference. Exactly. There are two issues with manufacturing when it comes down to products. One is the utmost important, the quality. And most of the solutions we talk about from Henry Ford, even before him, when Frederick Taylor started the scientific approach, these are the foundations of quality systems. I'm not talking about ISOs. I'm not talking about systems such as that. I'm talking about the nature of the quality. Quality 
has to be so good that doesn't create cost to the user and to the society at large. Unfortunately, most of the, the reason I brought you, I gave you that example of my dad's uh, channel lock because the quality was so good for 28 years, he used it. Nothing happened to it in under any circumstances. But when you find products today, unfortunately, they are not very reliable. That's where the Made in USA used to be worth its weight in gold, unless it was USA Japan. Yeah. Well, it's a little bit diluted, but that's one of the main, I would say, the most important reason for us to put this quantum lean together. Quantum lean allows American manufacturers to produce high quality, very reliable products in much, much less time, faster than anybody can imagine, and also lower cost. Because we are brought up with the fact that if you want quality, you have to pay money for it. It's very expensive, and you have to wait in line. It takes a long time. And that's the beauty of this book. This book allows you to produce high quality, lowest cost. I mean lowest cost, not lower, lowest cost in the fastest time possible. And you're talking, but are you talking specifically about manufacturing in the United States or just manufacturing? Anyway, this book universal, anywhere. So how do you balance though the cost of American labor into that because that does inflate your costs? Yeah, well, I mean, what I'll interject, and this is uh, one thing is that if you really have a manufacturing system or any, any delivery system, really dialed in, you know, like a blue flame, that kind of thing. The labor cost is really trivial. Like, because I mean, and I discovered that when I was first out of school and I was working at plants is that the labor cost was very minor. And to me, when you get down to it, like really, if we're doing it like we should be, you know, to me, there are other reasons that the cost of the overseas product is less and it's not labor. It's, it's a lot of things like policies, it's subsidies, et cetera. But yeah. Yeah. And, and so forth. But when you get down to labor, the cost of going across the ocean, you know, it, it will, oh, it'll, it'll absorb it. Yeah, it'll absolutely absorb it. But. Especially with the cost of freight now of shipping something, uh, you know, compared to three years ago. I mean, it went up like, what, tenfold or something. You know, Sean, let's also mention about cost of time. Yes, overseas costs a lot to deliver. And then the time that you lose, that means the commitments have to be made much, much earlier in advance. That means the money has to be paid much earlier in advance. So a lot of losses that you incur, you put them on one side and put the labor on the other side. Labor is nothing. And that's one of the main reasons we have nowadays, the insuring initiatives, which I like. I like to bring them in-house. In, in but the fact is, this labor cost has become very political in our society. It's become, it's become such an important political item when everybody talks about trying to do something with businesses, whether service or manufacturing, they jump into, oh, we have to increase the prices because the labor is costing. Labor cost has probably less than one-tenth of a percent of the price of any product. It really, really, yeah. Especially if you're using the right, the right software system to manage things. So again, I'm going to speak from experience and shamelessly plug, you know, my day job. But like when I get SAP into a manufacturer, some things like uh, job costing, stuff like that, that shop floor data collection is extremely important to them because they want people to clock in in the machine, clock out in the machine, how much they spend on each job. And then that actually gives them reliable data, real data intelligence as far as how much is it actually costing me. It surprises me how many businesses in the hundreds of millions of dollars, even billions of dollars, that are still running things like QuickBooks to where they don't have the insights to where they're just guesstimating how much their manufacturing costs actually are. And in many cases, they're, act, they're realistically overinflated. So I liked what you just said. You know, uh, I also have a little bit of a ERP back. Finally, took me over 200 episodes, but someone <laughs> agrees with me. Yeah. No, your reference to, to ERP and SAP and all that, I like what you're saying. I do have some ERP background as well. As a matter of fact, we consult through our uh, nonprofit, uh, Beehive Fund. And uh, one of the uh, folks who initiated the seed money for our nonprofit is Mr. Bond, Bond Brothers. As you know, Bond ERP system was one of the pioneers. And SAP, I believe, just at the same time or later came about. But the fact is, uh, 
all of these tools can be used properly or can be used can be misused. So the way we look at cost in an operation or manufacturing or even service industry, there are two types of costs. I mean, you say that everybody says, oh yeah, direct and indirect. No, 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 we're not talking about that. We are very simple. We try to make things very, very simple, not complicated. We don't get into uh, accounting way of defining cost. We say very simple, there is a visible cost and there is an invisible cost. Invisible cost, unfortunately has not been paid attention to ever in any ERP or accounting system. And that's one, when we brought it up first time in 2002, we introduced this, people said, oh, wait a minute, you're right. And i give you a very quick example. Yeah, I think this is really eye-opening. When you talk about, for example, labor cost that is collected as a pinpoint data, in, in uh, ERP systems, let's take an example of that for a welder. A welder starts working, let's say at 7 a.m., punches in the time, and he's supposed to weld five pieces. Total weld length of the five pieces, let's say, is 20 inches, okay? If the welder just welds, and in 20, 20 inches can be done in less than five minutes. But he punches in and he finishes the five-piece welding after three hours and punches out and goes and punches in for another work, okay? In three hours, what happens is a portion of that is actual welding. A portion of that is preparation for welding, his equipment, his PPE, and his... Uh, looking at the drawing and understanding what the what the blueprint would say. And then after that, he also has to do other things like a setup. He has to set up, he has to fit, he has to tack, he has to all the things. More importantly, he goes, when he wants to tack, he needs something to measure or he needs to uh, get a piece of another uh, part. He has to go walk and look for it and come back. All of these combined, is tacked in and tacked out or timed in and timed out in three hours. Whereas the actual weld would be done in less than five minutes. In our ERP systems or in our data collection, we put three hours for that work because it is visible to say the man hours was three hours. It is so visible to us. We see the operator logging in three hours. We don't see is what he does during that three hours. What he does, 90% of what he does is invisible costs that we don't pay attention to. He could have finished his job in 10% of the time. That would have been the only cost because the environment we have created in our facilities, in our organizations, is so out of whack. An operator to do the job has to jump through many hoops to do the right job. Even then, after it is done, Often there is a rework because something was wrong, information was given to him was wrong, the drawing had a different angle, and then come to find out, wait a minute, it's supposed to be left angle, you welded right angle, and he says, look at the blueprint. Oh yeah, blueprint says right angle, but it's the wrong one. Now we have to go back and redo it. All of that costs now created, they are invisible. We don't see that. All we say, okay, labor cost is this much. And then, then it becomes, oh my God, my labor cost is going to kill me. But the reality, it is not the labor cost. It is the other costs that are not visible to you. Therefore, we like to make sure that everybody understands there is a simpler way of running an organization, making all the dials work properly and harmon harmonically, basically harmoniously. You synchronize all these in a way that makes better sense and easier for the operator. Do you think a welder loves to go search for things? It is their deadly day when they do that. They love to weld. They don't, nobody wants to go look for things. It gets frustrating and it has consequential costs, safety issues, then misplacing issues. Now somebody else has to look for it. Then breaking issues, reworking. All of those things we introduce, whereas our system says, get rid of that in a simpler way. Make sure that 
operator actually enjoys what they are doing. They have a great day at the end of the day. They go home smiling. They don't go home with stress and they can't even sleep. And next morning they have to come back. We, we pride ourselves finding this value of system that we put together as Quantum Lean after 17 years of vetting it practically in the industries, all kinds of industries we have vetted this. It works like a charm. That's amazing. So no more diseased operators. No more diseased operators. <laughs> you know, it, it's funny that you say that. And it, just so you guys know, my guests know this, I typically do not talk about SAP, ERP, this type of stuff, as I do in detail, as much as I did in this episode, but it's one of those rare episodes. Today's episode that came out was about tax. You know, We really didn't talk about it at all. Talking about it here because I'm relating my experience with what you do, and there's a lot of crossover and synergy. And when you said invisible costs, one thing that comes to mind to me, and I think this is valid for you too, is when I'm trying to sell an ERP, one of the things we brought up, we bring up is, well, and this is more, I think, important with small to mid-sized businesses, more than larger businesses that kind of know this. I, I guess we can call them, we, we kind of see that you have a sophisticated client that has gone through this process before, unsophisticated, meaning that they've never gone through this. They don't know the process. They don't know how to do. They just know they need help and that you're the person that can help them. But we talk about that invisible cost as far as the cost of doing nothing and how much that is costing your business. And to me, I kind of see some synergy there with what you're saying of those invisible costs uh, that you're talking about with that scenario with the welder as a cost of doing nothing by not implementing this type of quantum lean system. And I see Sean nodding. So it looks like you definitely agree with that point. Well, yeah. And the, the nice thing is, is uh, when you do a quantum lean system, you attack those invisible costs, but you don't have to like explicitly identify those invisible costs. There's a certain technique you use that'll get rid of the invisible costs, but you don't have to go through enumerating them and listing them and calculating and measuring them, you will indirectly get rid of them, but in a simple way. And that's because a lot of times when people get into this thing where we're talking about we're going to lean out an operation, they want to measure everything. Let's measure this. Let's measure, you know, and that, well, it, yeah, there's like this obsession. Well, I mean, I hear when you say measure, I, I hear that too. Like, for example, if I'm selling a manufacturer, like, hey, I, I want to be able to have data analytics. How much time are they using for prep work? How much time are they using for this? How much time are they actually welding? How much are they doing? And they actually will have the system set up to where it captures all those different costs. Well, right. But, you know, it's kind of like there's a saying, uh, I think it was Taichi Ono or one of the, you know, lean founders. But at, or as actually, yeah, I think it was, I think it was Ono, but he said, costs don't exist to be calculated. Costs exist to be reduced. And to me, that's, that's a very important point because I like that phrase because, and that's what quantum lean allows you. You're not going to waste a ton of time calculating and measuring all these costs. You're going to be spending your time getting rid of them. And that's, and what you'll find in, in, you know, we can go into the detail of it, but it's just, there are certain hacks, you know, that's a, that's one of these catchy phrases people now use, but it's basically like a set of lean hacks that you apply to get your system more efficient, but you'll be able to prioritize quicker, more efficiently, more correctly. And then you follow, and then you follow that plan and you can get the most, most bang in the least amount of time. You know, that's, that's the idea. But to me that the, one of the big ideas is it attacks that invisible cost, which is the big one. The ones you see are one thing, but the invisible ones dwarf the ones you actually know about. Right, right. So we are we are running out of time. This will be one of our longest episodes this season, but I'm sorry, you two have been amazing. And obviously this is my life passion with manufacturing ERP business processes. So I find it fascinating. I could talk this all day, uh, but we do got to start wrapping up. I want to, I, I guess the last question I want to wrap up with, the book itself, okay? Uh, you guys have been working together. You've known each other for a while. 
give me the quick high level story. How did you all, how did you both decide like, Hey, let's write a book, pitch a book and get someone to be like, yeah, we'll publish your book. How did that come about? Yeah, I'll start. But I mean, I've, you know, we've, we've had this method for quite a while and we knew early on it was doing good stuff, you know, and we saw stuff that we kind of frankly consider to be malpractice, you know, and, and, you know, so when you're doing something you feel like's really good and you can back it up and you're seeing a bunch of malpractice being committed, you want to get the word out. And so, you know, like we, we both, we both wanted to do that. Finding the time is one thing, but you know, the long story short there, it's, uh, you know, you kind of work on the outlines, you work on kind of blurbs, things like that. And I found a publisher, you know, because I found this book at a bookstore and I happened to see a publisher and I thought, oh, I'll, I'll throw it in there. I'll make a proposal to him. And, you know, it's kind of a back and forth. And then, uh, you know, they kind of told me if, if you want to do this, this is what it's going to take. It needs to be this many pages. It needs you know, to be done in this amount of time and so forth. Were you surprised that the, I mean, it sounds like you shot a hundred percent there. You found one publisher off of another book. You went to him, you got him. Well, in fairness, there were a few previous ones and I'm not, I'm not going to get too much of the detail. Well, I'll, I'll get in a little more detail. It's, it may sound crazy and it may sound conspiratorial, but there's this thing that you almost could call a lean mafia. And if you go against the grain of that lean mafia, it's like, they don't want, they don't want to publish you. But what was funny is I found this this other publishing house and the guy wrote back and he said, you know, I was I was prepared to basically, you know, just cast this aside because I'd read so much crap. You know, it's the same old crap over and over. And he said, this is truly different. And so and then he said, let's keep talking. And so that that one thing led to another there. And then Michael and I kind of reviewed it together. And then we decided to go ahead and do it. He actually understood what we were talking about. And in fact, prior to that, Sean and I had come across some of these leaders in businesses, whether from uh, top uh, leadership or even plant manager side, they've told us, oh, my God, this is amazing. This is so simple. I can't believe I'm doing this. I never even thought of, why don't you write something about this? Why don't you share these? We would say, you know what, let's just wait it more. Let's go to different environment, make sure that works. And to our amazement, this publisher actually reads and he really understood the difference. And that's where the, yeah, he actually did. He understood, wait a minute, this is brilliant. This makes, this makes sense. So and this is much easier for people to read and understand. And that was one of the biggest factors for us. And he, he and like he said, if I, I, he said before, he said, if I, I thought to myself, this is, I'm quoting him. I thought to myself, if I have to read, you know, a certain quote one more time, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to throw the book out. But he, but then that one of the things is that the, the blurb that, that was submitted to him really refuted that thing that you constantly hear. Like in lean, they'll say, get rid of waste until only value remains. That's one of their favorite things to say. And well, right. But it, you know, and it's kind of like, if I read that, that cliche crap one more time, I was going to just have enough. The exact reason why somebody like Tony Robbins, first off, he probably would never come on this show, but even if he wanted to, I probably would not have somebody like him on that show because I don't, I view the listeners of this show do not want that cliche crap. They want real life, nitty gritty, granular experience, kind of exactly like what you two were offering. And that's, and on all then that's one thing I don't think we, Michael kind of got at it. I don't know if it's totally explicit, but both of us have the granular nitty gritty experience. And that, that really informed the approach, which then you're able to vet the approach and, and validate it, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. 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 So I've got to ask you both as we wrap up here, quantum leap, Okay, a quantum. I keep saying quantum yeah. leap because of that yeah. dang TV show. Yeah. Quantum yeah. lean, quantum uh -huh. leap. Yeah. Where uh -huh. can people find the book? Okay, awesome. Also, where can people find out more about you two? Well, you can actually uh, find the book in our website, and you can order through there. It is our nonprofit organization, Beehive Fund. And it is www.beehivef, as Frank, und.org. Or you can go to Amazon and order it, which would, we would love for you to do that, buying from Amazon. And uh, the same website, you can get hold of us uh, in any time if you'd like to shoot us, a, drop us a note or uh, uh, give us a call. Uh, my email address is my first name, Michael, M-I-C-H-I-E-L, M-I-C-H. 
A-E-L at beehivefund.org. And Sean also has s.fields at beehivefund.org. You can easily reach out to us and get the uh, book or any other help you want. We are more than happy, delighted to help. Awesome. Sean, any final words from you, my friend? Yeah, well, yeah, like I'm a network member of Beehive Fund. I also work with uh, a manufacturing extension partner program in Oklahoma called Oklahoma Manufacturing Alliance. And if you're an Oklahoma business, just feel free to reach out to me at Beehive and uh, I'll, I'll make arrangements for the, you know, the MEP in Oklahoma to, to work with you. Yeah, MEP is a great organization. Reach out. If you're a manufacturer out there listening, you can reach out. Sean, reach out to Michael. Reach out to me even. And I will help you because uh, they're through, as they said, through the NIST, National Institute of <laughs> Science Technology, I believe it is. Institute um, of Standards and Technology. Standards and Technology. Standards and Technology. Yeah. Federal, uh, federal program just to help manufacturers modernize and run more efficient and better, better technology, better processes, better everything all the way around. Sean, Michael, this has been amazing despite Michael's funny accent. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I loved you, Michael. You were amazing. You both were amazing. Thank you so much for coming on. And as everybody knows, as always, the link for their website and also the book Quantum Lean will be down below in the description. Doesn't matter if you're watching us on Spotify, watching us on YouTube, or listening to us on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Deezer, wherever, you'll see the link right below the the episode blurb uh, that you can get the book and also check out the Beehive Funds. Hey, thank you guys so much for coming on. It's been a blast. Thank you, and we appreciate the time. We thank you and your program. Yeah, thank you very much. And you're a great host. And, uh, you know, like uh, we really, I enjoyed it very much. Great. Thank you. It's been a blast. Wow, that was such an incredible interview with Sean and Michael, wasn't it? First, you all know the routine. If you found this interview helpful, if it sparked some warm and fuzzies, do me a favor, hit that like button, smash that subscribe button. But if you really want to help us out because you know Shark Bite Biz is one of the greatest kept secrets in the world of small business, please do me a favor, share us out to your friends, your family, your colleagues, anybody that you can that you think that can benefit from the three G's, personal growth, professional growth, and business growth. That's our anthem here. We're just trying to help people grow in some shape or form. If you can help someone learn something new, please share us out wherever you dwell on the interwebs, whether Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Minds, Rumble, Odyssey, anything out there, just get us out there. I'd love to see nothing more than Sean, Michael, and Sharkbite Biz out there trending. Now let's get back to the real stars of this show, Mr. Sean and Mr. Michael. Uh, This was a really cool interview, and they have an even cooler book right here. Having a three-way interview for me is always kind of tough because I haven't done many of them, but I keep getting better, I think, each one. That said, hearing all the history between Sean and Michael and how their careers have crossed paths and, you know, which ultimately led to this book being written was really pretty cool. And, you know, I think one of the biggest things I got from this that blew my mind, which I mentioned during the interview, is that they worked with the federal government under the NIST which is a federal agency, Google it or rewatch an episode if you forgot. (laughs) I I love people that watch episodes more than once. But uh, they ended up helping create the M like Michael, E like Edward, P like Peter, MEP Association, which is an amazing, amazing uh, association. But also coincidentally, next season, we're going to have a special episode that comes from the NJMEP Manufacturing Expo that happens in October, which is going to be a roundup of all these different interviews that I do because I'll be on site with, uh, you know, Sator, our sponsor. I'll be there with them. I'll be on a speaking panel. It's going to be pretty awesome. And you'll get some more hype as we get closer to that. But back again with Sean and Michael, I mean, they had hands in developing what this program actually looked like. And it is you know, pretty 
darn awesome to me what they have accomplished in their careers with helping business owners, especially manufacturers, run more lean, run more efficient. And again, you know, like I take the side of the coin where process, you know, business process automation is what I got out of it. You know, others get other things out of it. And that's kind of, I believe it was Michael that said that in an interview, you know, where he said about the two sides of the coin. Anyways, question of the day. What do you think of special groups like MEP associations, Chamber of Commerces, BBB? Are they still relevant today? Aren't they relevant today? I think at least MEP minimally would be, but I'm not totally sure. Please leave a comment down below on YouTube, or if you're watching on Spotify, I believe you can leave a comment there too. Do you want to be on the show? We're scheduling seasons eight and nine. Can't believe I'm saying season nine already, but we are getting those scheduled and in the books. It's interviews at sharkbitebiz.com. Also, please, if you're watching on YouTube, watching on Spotify, or you want to check out our, our Patreon page, $3 a month, you can become a baby shark. Every dollar comes into the show is every dollar that goes out to make it bigger, better, and keep helping people grow. Lastly, I just got to give a final shout out to our amazing sponsor, SAP Platinum Partner, Sador. Without their support and love, this show would not be possible. So please check them out. Get off QuickBooks. Take that next step forward, Sador.com. Y'all know this by now, but I'll say it once again. I'm David Strausser. This is Shark Bite Biz. We'll see you all next episode. Cheers. You just experienced Shark Bite Biz with David Strausser. Please like, comment, and subscribe to the show to help us spread the word about personal, professional, and business growth. Want to be on the show? Send an email to interviews at sharkbitebiz.com. A special shout out to our sponsor, SAP Platinum Partner, Sador. Get off QuickBooks and move your business to the next level. Reach out for more info. Thanks for listening and see you next time.